during worship, I was struck on the reality of what Hebrews 3 means for us right now. I don't have this in the notes, but uh, I want to just visit this before we start here and what we're doing today. Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 12, just as a reminder. See to it, brothers and sisters, speaking to us in the church, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called right now, today. The reason we do this is so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As we were worshiping today, I was thinking about what is an, an encouragement it is to be refreshed by the Holy Spirit and be refreshed by His presence and sing the truth and we're testifying to the truth. But apart from this, We can say yes to sin. We can get outside of this safe place and we can say yes to sin. And the moment we do that, we set ourselves up for the next steps. This this sin that we say yes to is later on called deceitful in this passage. But whenever we take the apple, whenever we transgress what God has told us, then immediately unbelief comes in because it's hand in hand. We unbelieve, we disbelieve the Lord's word and we say yes to the apple and those things come together. We, we have a sinful, which produces an unbelieving heart. And he says, see to it, brothers and sisters, as if watch over one another, brothers and sisters, mainly watch over your own heart, brothers and sisters, that none of you has such a heart as this, sinful and unbelieving. Because if we sin and we choose unbelief in that, then something happens. Our heart turns. We facing this way to the Lord and choose sin and unbelief face this way to the world and its system. And when our heart turns, something happens. It hardens. And it gets a layer over it. And then the further we go down that path, it gets harder and harder and harder. So the progression is saying no to the Lord's word and saying yes to sin and unbelief and turning and hardness of heart that leads to more hardness of heart. And how do we combat this? We encourage each other daily as long as it's called today. What are we encouraging one another with? Well, we just did it. We're encouraging one another with the truth that purifies us because sin is deceitful, but the truth sets us free. And so we've got brothers and sisters, many of you know them, that have started off holding their original conviction firm. They said yes to Jesus, but we know that we've come to share in Christ only if we continue to hold that original conviction firmly to the end. 
And there is, in this age, a letting go of original firm convictions. There's a releasing of the truth and the mores, and we're floating away, we're drifting away sometimes. I just feel so burdened in my heart for you today that we would continue to encourage one another, that we might hold fast to whatever we've already received, the truth that sets us free. And that's what we do here. That's the whole point. We come together, don't forget, he's good. Don't forget, you'll get through this. Here's the truth in your circumstance and situation. Walk in freedom. So, this world that we live in now, its system, the world's system, and the world's desires have some detail to it that have been on my heart. This world is number one marked, 1 John 5, as being under the control of the evil one. The world, not people, but the world's system, the methodology of this world is under the umbrella of the control of the evil one. It's true. Secondly, the world is after our hearts. Do not love the world or anything in the world for everything in the world, not one thing excluded. Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Under control of the evil one, and it's after our hearts to get us to love it. Come love me, it says. Come be with me. Come be friends with me, the world system says. Thirdly, it's incompatible with love for the Father. If you say you love the world, how can the love of the Father be in you? It's impossible. You cannot love God and money at the same time, the scripture says. Fourthly, nothing in the world is from God. Nothing. There's no philosophy. There's no feeding of the poor. There's no good acts of service birthed from this world system that's from God. Nothing. Everything in the world. Everything means everything. Is not from the Father. And then lastly, the system of this world and its desires, and really it means its lusts and its cravings for what is forbidden, is passing away. This world is passing away quickly. It's changing. Even since I started speaking, we're getting older. We've decayed more. Outside has decayed. Things are changing rapidly. This world has nothing for us, and yet this world has everything, as the song says. All that I could want, but nothing that I need. This world offers itself up to us on a silver platter and says, come taste and see that I am good. And we taste and see and we realize we're still hungry. And we'll never be filled and we have to take more and more and more. The present form of this world is passing away. Having said that, we remember James chapter 1. This is true religion or true spirituality is this. To take care of orphans and widows in their distress and to keep yourself and to keep myself, the onus is on us, unspotted or unpolluted 
by the world. Because this world and its system corrupts us. Look with me in 1 Peter or 2 Peter chapter 1. This world is subject to corruption. There's no hope for this world. It is passing away. It is it says subject to corruption meaning it's destined to destruction or perishing or decay. And then because it's subject itself to corruption, you go one chapter over in chapter two of Second Peter, and it says that itself corrupts, the world itself. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ are once again entangled, their second condition becomes worse than the first. So the world that is destroying itself and is decaying, when you get into it, And when you say yes to that, you yourself are being corrupted. You yourself are being polluted or contaminated or defiled. This is why James goes on to say, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is adultery or it's enmity against God? Anyone who chooses to say yes to be a friend of the world becomes what type of a person towards the Lord? An enemy. That's incredible to me. That's not neutral ground. That says, if I step in the enemy's camp, I became the enemy. If I am friends with the world, I'm committing adultery on the lever of my soul. It's an amazing thought. It's the salt that goes in the food. If it takes on the flavor of the food, then it's worthless. Because what that means is you have to get an individual grain of salt to taste the food. And it's impossible. What we need is for the salt to put its flavor into the food, Jesus says, so that when I taste the food, I can taste the effect of the salt on it. And so he says, I want you to be in the world, but not of the world. I want you to be in and and spreading the light and getting the salt into the fabric of society. But oh, be careful, church. Don't let the world get inside of you. Do not do it. Eat with the tax collectors and the prostitutes, but don't share in their wicked works. Don't be friends with them in terms of sharing in their iniquity. Because because of on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So we remember, I'm going to get to my point here in just a second. I'm saying all this for a reason. We remember that if we confess our sins to the Lord, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to do what? cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It says right before that in verse seven, that the blood of Jesus Christ, in 1 John 1, cleanses us from all sins. So here we have God's responsibility in this cleansing work. Jesus' blood cleanses you and me once and for all from all sins. And when I confess my sins, when I go back and I sin, then I know he's just and he's faithful and he cleanses me from unrighteousness. That's his job. I don't cleanse myself from unrighteousness and I don't cleanse myself from sins by my own blood. He does all of that work. But our side of the equation comes in in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Go there with me if you would. I taught on this a few months ago. 
self-cleansing sounds like this. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves or purify our souls. Paul's saying this about himself as well. Let us cleanse or purify our souls from everything that contaminates or defiles body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. That's our job. God cleanses us from all sin and he forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness, but we cleanse ourselves from everything that contaminates. What does that mean? God's cleansing is different than ours. What, our, what God's cleansing does is it deals with sin and forgiveness and salvation once and for all. Our cleansing deals with our sight, our ability to see God, and secondly, our ability to walk in intimacy with him and proximity to his heart. That's what that means. It has nothing to do with our once and eternal salvation from sin. That's God's job. Our job is that we might see. See, this is why Laodicea had to have ISAP, because they were so worldly, they were blind and pitiful and poor and wretched. They had to have ISAP to heal their eyes to see, because without purity of heart, no one will see the Lord. That's what he's talking about here. Our cleansing is all about what happens in our walk with him and all about our ability to get beyond temporary circumstances that we see into the eternal, into the next realm. How does this happen? And I have searched the scriptures and I've found two specific ways that we cleanse ourselves. One of them is back in 1 Peter. Well, I know we're going back and forth a lot here. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. And the second one is where we're going to end up in 1 John. How does this work, this self-cleansing? First Peter 1, 22. Now that you believers have purified your souls by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. How do we cleanse ourselves? Well, item number one, we obey the truth. Everything confusing becomes very simple and clear when I step out and obey, yeah? Every time I confess the sin, confess the theft, confess the lie, confess the unforgiveness, clarity free. Every time I conceal it, I do not prosper. I get more confused and it gets darker and the light in me becomes darkness and I start stumbling around not knowing where I'm going. Confession purifies. I obey the truth that I've been told. I don't obey someone else's truth. I obey the truth that I've been told to do. And it's not enough to hear the truth, but only to do it, to obey it. What this passage here says, it's impossible to love one another deeply from the heart unless you obey the truth. Because unless you're purified in your soul, you can't love one another deeply from the heart. If I've got ought with Sean Humig, we can't fellowship in the spirit. I'd rather stay away from him. But man, when I'm clean in my relationship with him, 
right there, that fast. I love him from the heart. And I can fellowship in the spirit with him. Purity empowers us to love. How do we purify ourselves? How do we cleanse ourselves? Item number one, we cleanse ourselves by obeying the truth. Number two, this is where I was at this week. First John, chapter three. This goes along with what Roger said earlier. Start with me in verse one of first John chapter three. See what great love or behold what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason this world does not know us is that it did not know him. Verse two, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know, this is what we know for certain, is that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. Why? For we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. It's like the sheep who is naturally a clean animal, but it falls down in the mud because it makes stupid decisions and the shepherd has to come and clean it off versus the sow who is a naturally unclean animal and she wallows in the mud. That's where she lives. That's us. We fall into sin. The shepherd cleans us off. He cleanses us from unrighteousness. Or I say, no, I love sin. I will not listen to the scripture. It's not true. There's multiple different opinions about the Bible. I choose sin. And that proves our natural character, that we are apart from him. We are not in the beloved. Anyone who keeps on sinning, the proof is they've never seen him. So the extent to which we see Christ, it says here, is the extent to which we become like him. Look with me again in verse two. We know that what we are will not yet be made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we're gonna be like him, we'll be transformed into his image. Why? Because we're gonna fully and completely see him as he is. Now, wait a second. I thought everyone on the planet was going to see Jesus as he is. And that's absolutely true. But not everyone's going to be transformed. Remember, Revelation says, behold, he comes riding on the clouds. And he says, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And what's their response going to be? They're going to mourn when they see him. And Matthew 24 says, then will appear in the heavens the sign of the son of man. And then all the peoples of the earth are gonna mourn when they see him for who he is. Seeing is not seeing. 
Just because I see with my natural eyes does not mean I see with my spiritual eyes. See, what's happening right now is you and I have to see him with the eyes of our heart, but soon we'll see him with our physical eyes will be transformed. Right now, the world is trying to see him with natural eyes and they can't, so they've closed the eyes of their heart, but the tables will be reversed. They'll see him with their natural eyes and they'll mourn because they'll say, it's over, I'm dead, I'm a goner. But we'll see him with our natural eyes and everything we've been hoping for is gonna come to fulfillment. And we're gonna say, yes, he's real. And we'll be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. Second Corinthians 3 says that with unveiled faces, we're beholding and contemplating the glory of the Lord and we're being transformed from ever increasing glory to ever increasing glory. The extent to which we see Jesus is the extent that we become like him. But we cannot see if we love the world. See, the God of this age has done something to the minds of unbelievers. What has he done to them? He's blinded them. So when I get in the camp with one foot of the God of this age, what happens to the eyes of my heart? Same thing. See, I'm saying yes to blindness when I identify with the world and become friends with the world and the world system. And because of that blindness, I can't see God. I've, I've got an impure, polluted, mixed up heart. So the Lord says, what I want you to do is I want you to purify your heart by just stepping out in obedience to the truth, whatever that is. Quit that, confess that, say no to that, say yes to that. I just want you to obey. And if the Lord gives you a command, he gives you the grace to walk it out. Secondly, in 1 John 3, I want you to put your hope in seeing him and becoming like him. What's that mean? I want you to put your hope in the next age, in the age to come. All that this is here is temporary. It's going away quickly. The clock's counting down. Just went to a funeral yesterday for a 46, 47-year-old young guy. It's almost over, church. It's almost over. But what's coming is eternal, it's forever. What we see is temporary here. So what he's saying here is, I want you to put your hope in that day when you're gonna be transformed like him. And that hope is going to do something to your soul. It's gonna purify your soul. It's gonna cleanse your soul. Does that make sense? Okay, so I'm talking to my Aunt Jan this last Sunday. We have a three-hour Zoom meeting. Stuart and I, we go through some board stuff. She's just full of joy. I'm like, how are you doing? How's your heart? She's like, I'm great. You know, like, could be killed tomorrow, could be kidnapped today. We don't have a lot of food. Money's touch and go. There's no police. Great. Doing awesome. In the will of the Lord. It's like, unbelievable. So we talk through this whole thing. We say hi. And we get to the end of the conversation. And she says, oh, by the way, I feel like the Lord whispered in my heart, I'm not coming back. I love the church, she said. I love my family. But she said, I feel like the Lord said, I'm going to lay my bones down in Haiti. I said, really? Okay. How do you feel about that? I feel so good. I feel so much peace about that. I don't want to come back. If the Lord says, I'm going to lay my bones down here, this is where I want to be. And she said, you know, I love the church and I love my family, Jonathan, but you know what's about to happen? We're just about to spend eternity together. We're just about to have like a never-ending family get-together with no sin, no corruption, no bad attitudes, nothing between any of us, Jesus right in the middle of it, and it's just going to be fun. I mean, it's going to be eternal rest. We'll never say goodbye. 
And she said that to me and something happened inside my soul. It purified my soul. In just that moment, everything that I was dealing with in the temporary just went poof. And I was like, oh, she's got something that I want. She's got perspective on this age. She's got Paul's perspective. For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's crazy talk unless you've seen him and you're looking forward to that day and you're like, I want that day to come. I long for that. Let me ask you a question. When we talk about, I had a vision this last week. I told Dick, I I had a a vision of a hurricane on the ocean and I saw the outer bands of the hurricane. They're a little lighter, but they're still spinning. And I saw the church on a ship and I saw the church was in some rough waters, but the church was heading into the eye of the hurricane. And I felt the spirit say in my heart, rough waters are ahead. Rough waters are ahead. Now, what does that make you think? How does that make you feel? Because I know how it usually makes me feel, which is I better get my ammunition stored up. Where's my food? How much? Am I prepared? But the reason I do that is because this world is my home and I don't want to leave. And I love my wife and babies. And I'm like, rough waters could mean the end of me here. I want smooth waters on this side. But that's a fear response. I wonder if I had faith response enough to say, oh yeah, chains await me in Jerusalem and I'll probably die in Jerusalem, but I can't wait to get there. Paul's like, just just get me there as fast as possible. Who thinks like that? Jesus does. He set his face. So we're like him. So I'm like, rough waters ahead, bring it on. That means Jesus is about to come back. That means no more sickness, no more pain. That means the eternal party is about to start. It's going to be so good. And so my, take my life and let it be consecrated. Take my money, take my song, take my speech. I'm just about over. I'm just about done. Take it all, Lord. Do what you want. That's a different perspective. And so when I hear people like Jan Thompson say things like that, it purifies my soul. And this just jumped off the page. If I have my hope set on Jesus like that, it changes me from the inside out. On another age, this is not normal. We were not born for time. We were born for eternity. But oh, that we might just live for eternity. Remember this, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Just listen to this if you would. This is what I'm saying, brothers. The time is short. This is what I'm saying to you. This is what I mean. The time is short. So from now on, from this day forward, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. And those who are happy as if they were not. And those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. And those who use the things of the world as not engrossed in them. Why? For this world in its present form is passing away. Time is short. From now on, don't live like it's not. Live like it's short. Don't live like you got eternity here and you're going to build a millennial king. It's short. So live loosely with your hands like this. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Bless his name. So what do we do? 
we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Don't we? We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's what we do. Could you fix your eyes with me just for a moment? Could you fix your eyes on this? I'm just going to read this over you. You can close your eyes if you want. Here's the end of the book. Fix your eyes on this with me. Lord. Revelation 21. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Keep in mind, there's a fourfold blessing in the book of Revelation. If you read it out loud, you're blessed. If you listen to it, you're blessed. If you ponder it, you're blessed. And if you do it, you're four times blessed. I'm about to be blessed by reading this to you. You're about to be blessed just to hear it. Doubly blessed if you ponder it. Triply blessed if you do it. I didn't see a temple in this city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. This is where we're headed. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter into it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal. Can you see it? And it was flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit and yielding its fruit every month. It'll be a fresh crop every month for eternity. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Do you look forward to that? To the new heaven and the new earth where righteousness dwells? Or do you look forward to the financial breakthrough and the new job? Do you look forward to your kids graduating or to your first grandchild or to health, which are all good things? Or do you primarily look forward to the new heaven and the new earth? That's my hope. I, I want to be there. I want to hasten his coming. I want to get there. 
There's a crown of life, Paul says, sort out for me, not only for me, but for all those who long for his appearing. Oh, Lord God, I pray that you would do a work in our heart that we would see you more clearly. I pray, Father, that we would not love the world or anything in it. Stamp eternity on our eyeballs. Lord, I pray that we would see differently after this, that we would live differently, Lord God. Heal us, Lord, I pray, all of us. Lord, I pray that you would teach us what it means to walk this out. Every word of mine from the flesh, let it burn away. But I pray anything you were saying, let it remain and go onto good soil here today, God. Transform us. Make us like you, Holy Spirit. Do a work deep inside of us. Let us fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Let us fix our eyes there, even now, Lord, in this great city from above. Just thank you for this day. I thank you for the encouragement. I thank you for the reminder, Lord, that we have. As long as it's called today, Lord, I pray our hearts be soft to your leading. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen.